Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. As we prepare to read God's Word, let's bow and ask God to help us. Living God, as we prepare to open your Word, we ask that by your Spirit you would open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, now in worship we give our whole selves to you. We can do no more and we dare do no less, for you are God, our creator, sustainer, Savior, and Lord. Jesus Christ, be glorified in your church this day. Amen. Reading from John chapter 1, verse 1 down through verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There came a man who was sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It's my joy this morning to preach the gospel to you from the word of God. And this will be not a very long sermon. We have presents to open and we have all of our children here in the service with us. And I love it when the kids are in the service with us and Uh, If you're a parent here and you have kids with you and your kids make a little noise during the church service, I'm happy about that. I'm happy to have them in here. In fact, I've been pastor here for a long time and a lot of kids have made noises and talked to me about a lot of things and I've never had a problem with any of it. But I've been pastor here for a long time and there are many adults who have made noises at me that caused me great grief and heartburn. But... The kids, I, I'm fine with the kids, whatever they want to talk about. It's a, it's a happy thing. But it'll be my joy to preach to you clearly and succinctly and very directly about the gospel of Jesus Christ, who he is and why he came. You know, when John wrote this gospel, he put in verse 1, the word was God. And then he put in verse 3, the whole world was created by him. So before or when we're even three verses into John's gospel, he wants us to know that Jesus is God. So that the star that is over the place where the baby would be born is a star that was created and placed there by Jesus. He created all things. John is very clear that he wants us to believe that Jesus is God. And the reason why is because he's going to go on to write 20 chapters and everything that we see Jesus do, like when Jesus is strikingly, he treats the Samaritan woman with dignity and compassion. 
He wants us to see that that's not just a man doing that, that that's God doing that. John wants us to read the whole gospel with this conviction that Jesus is God. The purpose of John's gospel, someone put it like this, and I like it. The purpose of John's gospel is that we would worship Jesus without cessation, obey Jesus without hesitation, and love Jesus without reservation. I like that, church. That we would love Jesus without reservation, nothing held back. That we would obey Jesus without hesitation. What he says for us goes for us, and that we would worship him without cessation. And then John says in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is where we get the theological term, the incarnation, the enfleshment of the second member of the triune God that he took on flesh. He took on flesh that could walk, talk, that could touch. I've been telling a couple of people as we've been chatting lately that I know a lot of families in the church right now, who someone in their family has the flu. And every time I've heard that for the last three weeks, I've thought about the fact that Jesus willingly took a body that could get chills and a fever and a headache and feel achy and miserable. He didn't have to do that, but he chose to do that, to take on flesh. There's a lot of words in the Bible that they could mean one thing in one place and another thing in another place. You can't just take a dictionary and say a word means the exact same thing. The words are nuanced by their context. And flesh is one of those words. There are a couple places, I'll read one to you from Galatians. There are a couple places where the Bible says that the flesh is really, really bad. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you would do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, things like these. I warn you as I warned those before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In a text like that, flesh is something wicked. It represents our base desires that don't honor God and that don't conform to God's word. But that's not the only way that flesh is used in the Bible. There's a striking use of the word flesh. I'll read you another one. This is from the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. Listen to what the Bible says about flesh back here. It says in Ezekiel 36 verse 22, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord your God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my own holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and I'll bring you into your own land and I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean from all your uncleanness and from all the idols I will cleanse you. Listen, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. 
and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give to you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So sure, in Galatians 5, the flesh was representing our worst desires. But here, in Ezekiel, the flesh is opposed to the, a stony heart. And so a stony heart is an unfeeling, uncaring heart. But God says, I'm going to remove the heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh so that with your heart, with your flesh, you can obey me, you can love me, and you can walk with me. This, I think, was given to Jesus, this heart of flesh. Jesus took on flesh, but he wasn't a sinner. The angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the child which shall be born will be called holy. Jesus took on flesh, but he wasn't a sinner like us. That's why the, the writer to the Hebrews says very carefully, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he had a fleshly body, yet he was without sin. You know, in addition to having a body, Jesus had a soul. A soul. The Greek word for soul is the word psyche, from which we get psychology. The Bible's really clear that Jesus, he didn't, he, he didn't and doesn't just have a body. He did and does have a human soul. This is pretty remarkable when you hear it out loud. Listen to what it says in John chapter 12. Jesus talks about his own soul. Not just his body, but his soul. He says in, in uh, John 12, beginning in verse 23, Jesus answered, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. John 12, verse 27, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What a wonder that Jesus had a soul that could become troubled. Not just a body that could become achy with the flu. Not just a body that could be crucified and killed. But he actually had a psyche and a soul that could be troubled. One of the most famous passages in the Gospels is Matthew 26 in Gethsemane, where Jesus says, my soul is in bitter anguish. Nevertheless, not what I will, but thy will be done. I've got a friend who is, uh, um, she's not, I don't think, physically sick, but she's just been really down lately. And so I, just, I called her last week just to check on her because I felt like her soul was, was hurt. We all feel that way sometimes when maybe our body is okay, but our soul, it just is troubled and it's heavy. We look in on each other like that. Jesus didn't just have a body, he had a soul. Why did he do this? Why did he take on a body of flesh and a human soul? I just simply give you maybe three reasons. 
One is so that he could sympathize with us. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we do have one who can sympathize with us. He was in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. He took on a flesh and a psyche, a soul, so that he could sympathize with us. You know, the, the blessing of being in the church is that we worship Jesus, we sing his praises, we listen to the word, we pray together, communion, baptism. But one of the other blessings of being in the church is that once you're a covenant member of the church, you never have to walk through the difficulties of life alone. And there's something about suffering in your soul that is alleviated by having people around you who sympathize with you and hold you up and care for you. You know, Jesus took on a soul so that he could do that for us, for us. This sympathy is, um, I found a, a neat little spot where this human sympathy is reflected, and it's from Exodus. You don't have to turn back there. I like this because sometimes the Old Testament gets a bum rap. Like, people think the Bible is retrograde and bad, and I, I have no sympathy for that point of view. I think the Bible is beautiful, and I think the Bible's great for us. But anyway, sometimes the Old Testament law kind of gets a bad rap, and God, God gives this law in Exodus 22, and this is what he says, Exodus 22, verse 21. When he says to Israel, he says this, you shall never wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. What a thing for the holy transcendent God to say. He's grounding the moral law that we're accountable to. Well, we could say it's grounded in his holy character, and it is. But, you know, experientially, he's also grounding it in this human sympathy where he says, you should never oppress a foreigner because you yourselves were foreigners who were oppressed, and you know what that feels like. Don't ever do that to someone else. He grounds his moral law not only in his transcendent character, which is above us, but even in how his character is, is somehow experienced, yet imperfectly, in the Imago Dei inside of us. And he says that his people should sympathize with those who are oppressed and never be their oppressors. Well, Jesus took on flesh and a soul so that he could sympathize with us and We'd say a second reason why he took on flesh and a soul was so that he could be our substitute. God created us, and because God created us, he gave us a law that was for our good. And because we are who we are, we, yeah, we've never perfectly followed that law, not a single one of us. And we need a substitute uh, to, 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 to obey the law of God in our place. You ever wonder why Jesus came for 33 years? I don't know if there's anything specific like about the number 33, but he didn't just come for two. He didn't come for 100. He was here for 33. Why is that? Well, he had to be here for a certain amount of time. Like our... Uh, like our grandkids currently, they live in Oklahoma, and we love to visit them, and every time we visit them, we're like, we're, it's never long enough, we want to stay longer. I don't, but I was imagining, like, would I go to the airport 
two hours in security, flight with a layover in, in St. Louis and then fly into Oklahoma. Would I go through that just to see my grandkids for three hours? And I know it's Christmas and I'm supposed to be sentimental, but my answer is no. I wouldn't do that. It's not worth it. I'd do it for three days, but three hours is too low. Why, why did Jesus come for 33 years? Because you and I have been failing to obey the law of God for longer than three minutes, longer than three hours. And we needed someone here to fulfill the law of God in our place as our substitute. And he lived here on this planet in flesh and in psyche in order to do that, in order to do that. If you're a Christian, this should land in your life with the, with the resonance to give you a, an absolute liberation from ongoing shame and guilt. Christians should always confess their sin, but Christians should never live under this unyielding cloud of shame and guilt. You should confess your sin and repent of it, but it's, 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 not like, it's not like all your failure just stacks up because I'm telling you, Jesus lived so that in literally every single way that you fail, he has succeeded, and therein is your liberation from ongoing shame and guilt because he came as your substitute. Well, he came to sympathize with us and he came as a substitute living in our place and we'd have to say thirdly, as we look up at that cross, that he came to be a sacrifice. The divine nature can't suffer and die. The wages of sin is death. So the second member of the Trinity took on flesh so that he could suffer as our sacrifice as a, in our place. This is how he spoke of his death in John chapter 12. He said, a grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies and then it bears much fruit. Because he was our substitute, he fulfilled the law of God in our place. But because he was sacrificed for us, God was able and just when Jesus hung on that cross to lay the guilt of all of our sin upon our sacrifice, the Lamb of God who was sacrificed in our place. And on the cross, Jesus bore the guilt and, and, and the wrath of God for all of those who would belong to him. And he died in our place as our substitute and as our sacrifice and having taken our place, he then rose from the grave because the payment was made. Because he's a sympathetic savior and because he's the one who is our substitute and because he was sacrificed for us, I can tell you from the word of God and even from my own conversion experience that there is more grace in Jesus Christ than there is sin in you. And there's more life in Jesus Christ than there is regret and death in you. And there's more security and comfort in Jesus Christ than there is doubt and flailing in you. When we receive Jesus Christ, we have the assurance that we're going to be okay in the end. 
And when we receive Jesus Christ to be a Christian is not to be assured that in the end, it's all going to work out for me because I'm finally going to quit failing so much. To become a Christian is actually to believe while I'm down here on this planet, I'm never going to quit failing, but God's never going to quit forgiving and loving me anyway in Jesus Christ. This is the glorious good news of the gospel. And I would just commend you to have faith in the Lord Jesus. I was trying to add them up. Probably since my ordination, I've probably preached the gospel at Christmas 30, about 30 times. And it's so simple, but there's always, there's always something fresh in it. There's always something new in it. And faith is so simple but I'm, maybe I'm just starting to figure out like how to explain what having faith in Jesus Christ is. I would dismiss the notion that faith is an illogical leap in the dark. It isn't. But I tell you, I would also dismiss the notion that faith is an exact, logically calibrated sequence of steps. It isn't that either. You know what faith is? Faith is... Uh, faith... Faith occurs, faith happens when your soul uh, recognizes, knows how indescribably beautiful and how altogether lovely Jesus is. And then you trust him and then you want him. And then it's like, well, of course you drop sin. Of course you drop self because you're fleeing to him. Uh, if, if, if your soul is beginning to see how indescribably lovely Jesus is, then you, you, you won't be able to help but believe in him. But if Jesus isn't altogether lovely to you, then the gospel will continue to be uh, easily dismissible to you and not worth it. You know, but Jesus is altogether lovely and he is the Savior who sympathizes with us like none other and who at such a cost substituted in our place and was sacrificed for us. Is our prayer that Jesus will become indescribably precious to you this day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we have opened your word, we ask you to open our hearts. Only your spirit can unlock them. Only your spirit can cause the chains to fall away, the scales to drop from the eyes. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you and ask you to revive the hearts of those who belong to you and we ask you to convert the hearts of those who do not yet believe. We praise you, Jesus, for you are altogether lovely and in, indescribably sufficient and beautiful as our Savior. And so we worship you. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.